leadership team as he brings the word today. See that title up there? All you need is love. Da, 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 da. <laughs> you know, you get, uh, you don't have to ask a person their age. Just ask them the music that they like. And, you know, the music changes every 10 years. And 10 years is the length of your adolescence, basically, around that teenage period. And that's the formative music that defines a lot of your life and, and a lot of your worldview, actually. So, da, 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 da. 1960s. Come on, people. Sure, it was a while ago, but what are you talking about? It's a song by the Beatles. Have you ever played, have you ever played Trivial Pursuit? I, they probably updated the questions, but any time it was a musical question, you just go, the Beatles? And most of the time, you know, you got it right. So anyway, this sermon... It's this sermon is named after the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. And I bet you there's somebody sitting here right now that's thinking, that guy's theology is so whacked. I mean, how could he actually say something as outrageous as all you need is love? But uh, all you need is love. Okay? My point is this. It is impossible, absolutely impossible to overemphasize the place of love in our faith. I think it is the central truth of our faith. Now, for years, what has rivaled love for the central place in our faith has been truth. And I spoke about this a number of weeks ago. We, we have come from a tradition that, that uh, has so highly valued truth that many times we've neglected love. And the fact is you can't have truth without love and you can't have love without truth. They do go together, and they're both very, very important. But as I said a few weeks ago, the world has changed. Our Western world has changed. Our Western world no longer believes in truth. They don't believe such a thing exists. They believe in personal perspective. You see the world one way, I see the world another. You have your truth, I have my truth. There is no capital T truth. And what that leaves us with is a situation, I'm not going to repeat that message, but it was a good message. What that leaves us with is a terrible handicap in sharing our faith. If we continually come from the perspective of truth, we're speaking a language they don't speak. And worse, we're speaking a language they don't care about. But if we come from the perspective of love, if love is the central thing for us, then You know, you can argue with a lot of things, but you can't argue with love. You know when you're being loved, and you know when you're not being loved. And you can tell. And something inside you craves it and absolutely loves the love. And you respond to it. You can't help but respond to it. And people who love have credibility. And people who don't, don't. It's just really, it's, on any, in any argument, any situation, the person that will love and is seen to be loving in that group is the leader. That's the one they all turn to and look to. That's where their cues are coming from. Love is our central truth. Sadly, we've been coming from this emphasis of of truth all the time to the detriment of love, and we've created very successful Pharisees. 
Truth without love always ends up in judgment. Love without truth always ends up in licentiousness. This complete freedom without boundaries. We have to have a balance, but we can't go on just beating the bell of truth. Love has got to become the most important thing, at least until we get a proper balance. And here's the funny thing. When we make truth the issue and we're banging away on truth, the people that, that, uh, that do this, I always want to ask them, you're, you're, so, you're so high on truth and that's all you talk about. What's the biggest truth in the Bible? Hello? What's the biggest truth in the Bible? God is love. God is love. Not God doesn't love sometimes, or God highly values love, or God thinks love is a good thing. God thinks love is a good idea. Maybe we should love once in a while. It makes church go better. No, 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 no. God doesn't highly value love. God is love. That's the central truth of our faith. Do you know we have the only God in human history in all the world's religions who's love, who is love? Do you know that all the other world's religions in one way or another are afraid of their God? They live in fear of their God. And I'm not talking biblical fear, Old Testament, holding an awe and reverence and being completely undone by his presence fear. That's a certain kind of fear. That's what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. I'm talking about the terror of punishment. I'm talking about the fear of your deity, that he is going to get you. And it's just a matter of time before you make a mistake. And then he's going to get you. Do you know that all the other world religions live in a fear that they don't know where they're going when they die? So they have to go to the extent of strapping a vest on and killing a bunch of people to assure their place in heaven? They have to express their faith with murder to assure themselves of their faith. All the other world's religions fear their God. And what does our God say? Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Because I am humble. And I am love. I have longed to gather you. Like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. A mother could forget her child if it were possible. But I can't forget you because I've written. On the palm of my hands. We are the most fortunate people in the universe because somehow we've stumbled into a God who is love. It's not his value, it's his identity, it's simply who he is. And how can we not love when we're in love with love, who loves us and fills us with love? Love is the greatest truth because love expresses his nature perfectly because he is love. Last week we looked at the hidden miracle that takes place when we come into that loving relationship with him. When we come into that vertical loving relationship with him, we understand the miraculous nature of it because for the first time in our lives we're secure. 
We're not fearing what's going to happen. We're not fearing judgment. We've been forgiven. We've been loved. We've been completely accepted. And we're so carried away with the wonder of that vertical relationship with him that we forget the other miracle that he accomplished at the same time. And that's the miracle of connectedness horizontally to all of our brothers and sisters. And that's what I spoke about last week. This supernatural creation of family. In one moment, you acquired an eternal forever family with right at this point, over a billion people in it. Can you imagine Thanksgiving dinner? At dad's house? house, Around... With all these people you're supernaturally connected to who are your family? The party that it will be? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, and it just goes on and on and on and on forever. And heaven's not boring because there's going to be billions of people in it and it will take you a thousand years to get to know each of them fairly well. And just when you've really acquired acquired a knowledge of this small town in which you live in heaven. Imagine front porches throughout this small town and, and drinking lemonade and playing guitar and listening to music and talking with your neighbors and spending this kind of time with them. And you do that for a thousand years. You get to know that town pretty well. But oh my gosh, there's thousands of these towns and I'm going to move for another thousand years and spend time with a bunch more people. And then again and again and again and again. And 100,000 years later, you go, I haven't seen the first town for a while. I'm going to go back. Spend another 1,000 years there. All heaven is is unending relationships. (sighs) Think about this. Think about heaven. We get to know each other a little bit. And we get to know some things about each other. We we become a little bit vulnerable. We start to show who we really are, and that's a really precious thing. You can't love without knowledge. You can't really love some without knowing the true person. So we have to risk revealing what we're really like, and that, of course, always means the fear of rejection. So we're very tentative and very partial about revealing ourselves. But when when you see someone in heaven, you're walking the streets of heaven, and you bump into a stranger, someone you haven't met yet, and you look into their eyes and they look into your eyes, they will know you perfectly in that moment. There will be no hiddenness. There will be no fear of revelation. There will be no fear of vulnerability. They will look into your eyes like you look into the eyes of a child. And they will see who you really are. And you will do the same with them. And it will be instant community. We don't have anything like that on earth right now. We should be creating that wherever we can. That's not my point, but it is the point. We should be creating that every chance we get. At the moment of conversion, we acquire family and our identity is changed. Now, we always say, now I belong to Jesus. That's true, but it's only half the story. Now I belong to the rest of the family. Okay? And now we're going to explore how important that really is. Because we have made the personal relationship with the Lord so all-consuming that we've missed the consequences of what it means to be family. 
And in missing that, we miss a great deal of him. That's the irony. So look, when you accept him, an instant family is created. You now belong to love, and you have the capacity to love with the perfect love of God who is love. So here's the first point. Love is your new identity. Your new identity is love. 1 John 4.8. Now, listen to the radical nature of these statements. We're going to hit some verses here that I think are really, really, really radical. 1 John 4.8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, we talk about knowing God in terms of information and understanding. And sometimes we speak of knowing God in a deeper way in terms of the experience that we have between him and us in love. And we say, I know God because God loves me. That's not what the Bible says. You know God because you love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. 1 John 4.16 Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. This is redefining who we are as Christians in, in a whole new way. Whoever does not love does not know God. Does, does, is this not kind of radical? Whoever does not love does not know God. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. There's a litmus test here. How do we know we know God? I don't unless I'm loving. If I'm loving, I'm knowing God. I'm experiencing him. Listen, this is really radical. When we love, we partake in the divine nature of God. We're not just knowing about him. We're partaking in his very nature. You cannot be more intimate than God than when you're loving someone. Now, we, have, we value worship, Josh. We value worship in this church in a very high and, and proper way. We really do. We, we value the coming together in intimacy with God. We experience his spirit. We pour love out to him. He touches us with his love. And we think that's about as intimate as we can get with God. It's not. There's an intimacy far deeper. And that's when we're partaking with God in loving someone. It goes beyond what I'm receiving personally. And my emotions and my sentiments. You are never more intimate with God than when you're loving someone with his love. That's when you're knowing how he feels. And what he, you're partaking in his very nature when you love. You cannot get closer to him than when you are loving. Isn't that the coolest thing? In those moments when we love with his love, we're experiencing the miraculous joy of his heart. Love is your new identity. It's what you're made for. It's who you are. Number two, love is the proof to us of our new identity. 
You ask yourself a question, do I really know God? Well, that's an easy one to answer. Are you loving? If you're loving, you're knowing God. Listen to this. 1 John 3.14 We know that we have passed from death to life because we read the Bible a lot. Oh, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Because we tithe regularly. Oh, I got that wrong. Um, Because we witness at the gym to our friends. Uh, No, that's not it either. (laughs) We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers, which is brothers and sisters. We know we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Where does your assurance come from that you're saved? Where's your proof? What's your proof that you're saved? Is there love in your life? Are you loving your brothers and sisters? Is it a goal? Does it matter? Does it grieve you when you don't? And does it give you joy when you do? We're not talking perfection here. We're just talking, you know, is this what you're about? Is this what we're about? All the evidence we need to assure ourselves of the authenticity of our conversion to Jesus is the love we give to our brothers and sisters. And I'm going to say something pretty radical, but I want you to think about it. If you've not found yourself more loving to your new Christian family after your conversion, you should question your conversion. All these ideas of me and Jesus and who cares about anybody else, I'm just so carried away with God's love and everything, I don't really worry about anybody else, you're deceived. That's nonsense. It doesn't work that way. You can't be in love with love and not have it leak. When you're in love with love and love's in love with you, it has to leak. Love isn't a lake, it's a stream. It has to flow. A stream that's dammed up and left to become still water rots. It becomes poisonous. But water that continually moves down a stream And we've all, well, I've done this in the mountains in Canada. We just walk up and we just take our containers and we just scoop up all that water and and we just drink it all day long and never get sick because it's flowing. It's moving. Love has to move. Love that is dammed up becomes self. Love that moves is an expression. Love has to move. Love should never stop. When you receive love from someone, it should stimulate you to give it to somebody else. It should continually flow constantly. That's how God's love is. It never stops. It's always flowing. Love can never be stagnant. John 13.35. Here's another proof text. You are mine if you love one another. So we, what, we don't have a, a strange verse someplace that sort of says this once and we can weasel around it by not reading that book. Come on, guys, be honest. Don't we all do it? Like, we all have the gospel according to me. We have our favorite passages that we read and then we have those crazy ones we just skip right over because, oh, well, uh, that doesn't really apply. The ones you skip are the ones that apply the most, usually. 
You're mine if you have love for one another. My wife has this thing she does. It used to drive me crazy, but then I realized she's my wife. So uh, kind of a permanent situation, so maybe I better adapt. She has this thing that she does. She's constantly taking my spiritual temperature. She says, um, how are you doing in your relationship with God? Oh, no, it gets way worse. She, is she here today? No, she's in the Sunday school. Okay. Well, we'll just unload then, won't we? She says, um, how are you doing in your relationship with God? Uh, 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 is there a God? She says, um, what did he say to you in your quiet time this morning? Uh, 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 he's good. She's constantly, I, look, it, it's, it's not like she's worried about, well, she should be worried about me. And I know that on many levels she is, but that's not what's provoking these, well, maybe it is what's provoking these questions. But she'll ask me, you know, how's your relationship with God, and how are you doing, and what's happening in your quiet time? What have you told you, lady? I think she just wants to talk. Right? <laughs> she wants a husband who communicates. This is ridiculous. Has she... Football season. <laughs> Honey, football season. Last week started. Wait, be patient. January, February, it'll be okay. You'll get your husband back if you still want him. So she takes my temperature, you know, what's happening in your quiet time. And then I try to tell her, but I'm missing the whole point. And this is what I figured out. And this is what I'm going to start doing. Here's what my answer should be. Honey, you can answer that better than I can. You tell me, how am I doing in loving you? Because that's the test of my relationship with God. Seriously, that's the test. <laughs> I have this mentor and we got together for lunch six months ago. And he knows me. He says, you said to me, you're the most calculating person I've ever known. I took it as a compliment. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I am. <laughs> and then he said to me, you're, you're, yeah, I didn't say, I don't think he said most. I think he said one of the most selfish people I've ever known. And I said, yeah, I know. And we were there together six months ago and he said, uh, how are you doing with your battle against selfishness? And I told him the truth. I said, I, I, I don't know but my wife says I'm doing well. And I'll take that to the bank. Because that's the, that's the bottom line. Love isn't how you feel, it's how you act. Love is patience when you don't have any. Love is kindness when you're distracted. Love is listening when you don't want to. Love is making time for. Love is doing what they want to do, not what you want to do. Love is being more interested in her life than it is in my life. That's all love is. And believe me, I never feel like it because I'm selfish. That's my default position. But I have God living inside of me, and he loves my wife. So I should love my wife too. And I can ask him for help, and he gives it because this is radical. He lives inside of me. He lives inside of me. His spirit's in there longing to get out. 
God loves football. <laughs> the Almighty and I are very together on Sunday afternoons, although he's not pleased with some stuff that comes out of my mouth. <sighs> Let's not go there. That's too painful. My sentimental feelings towards God mean less than nothing if I am not loving those around me. Don't confuse faith and sentiment. Good intentions and nice feelings in your heart are not the measure of your relationship with God. What you choose to do and react is your measure of your relationship with God. Okay, so love is our proof to ourselves of the validity of our relationship with God. But it goes a lot deeper than this. Number three, our love for one another is the proof to the world of our new identity. You know these people, they're always running around with the Bible. Like they take their Bible to the gym. And they take their Bible to the grocery store. And they're kind of, they wear shirts that say, Jesus, ask me about him. And they're kind of like just, just really working on the advertising. Because they want the world to know that they're a Christian. And they want an opportunity to talk about him. Do you know that people run from those t-shirts? And they're not impressed that you bring your Bible to the gym? But they really notice when you love, and they notice when you don't. John thirteen thirty five. By this, all men, all men, everybody can figure this out. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When people see how we love one another, they make the connection with our God. And so they should, because our God is love. And they see love, real love, They make the connection. By this all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. I got nothing more to say on this point. Nothing could be clearer. Number four, our love for one another is the proof to the world, and this is the the one that completely baffles me. I think this is ridiculous. How God could risk this, I have no idea. Our love for one another is the proof to the world of Jesus' identity. Bizarre. Ridiculous. Crazy. John 17. Listen, John 17, 20 to 23. And this is Jesus praying to his Father. What's really cool about this prayer is this prayer is for us. 2,000 years ago, He's standing before his father and he's praying to his father. And he's talking to his disciples. They're they're guys in the room right there. And he kind of takes this little moment and he just begins to pray for them to his father. But he does something really strange. He prays for us at the same time. It's the only prayer of Jesus recorded in the Bible that prays for us. Is this cool or what? And he says this, he's speaking to his father about his disciples right here. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. 
I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Guys, that's us. Do you know how come we we get to be Christians? Because there's a whole 2,000-year-old line of Christians that went on knowing Jesus and preaching this stuff and raising up other Christians. This has gone on for two. There's a chain of us. We're going to meet every one of them in heaven. You're going to spend time with every single one of them. My prayer is not for these guys here alone. My prayer is also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Talking about something we call unity. Father, just as you're in me and I'm in you, may they also, all of them, be in us. Have unity with us, the Father and the Son, the Spirit. So that, so that, there's a purpose to this unity. So that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, that they will love one another in unity the way the Trinity loves one another. High standard. I in them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then. Then. The world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Guys, unity is nothing but the state of existence that we see visibly when people love one another. That's all unity is. Don't make it fancy. Don't make it doctrinal. Don't make it intellectual. It's just the state of affairs that exists between people when they genuinely love one another. We can call it unity. Jesus is saying that his credibility rests upon our Unity, it rests upon our love. Unity is just love well realized. That's a quotable one. Unity is just love well realized. Do you see the radical nature of this statement? I mean, it should really creep you out. Jesus has so many things that he could rest his credibility upon. He is divine. His miracles, his prophecies, his wisdom, his sacrifice, his love. Yet he pins his credibility with the world on our love for one another. (laughs) We'd all be a lot happier if we could talk him out of this. I think we should all pray and ask him to let us off the hook. Because this is a major responsibility. His credibility with the world rests on the quality of our love for one another. I believe that this is because when the world sees his love between humans, it is the best illustration of his nature. And we have the ridiculous privilege of being his illustration of his nature. And it works like this. Can we have that slide of the field of red stars? All right. This picture illustrates how we normally see our witness to the world. Right? This is how we normally see us revealing God to the world. Each one of these little 
orange-red stars is one of us. And each one of us has a relationship with God. And he lives in us. And his presence in us has an effect in us. And we shine with better character. And we shine with some good deeds. And we, we shine with a number of things. And we see ourselves as this great Milky Way of points of God's light illustrating his nature to the world. And it's all a bunch of individuals. And it's beautiful. And it's a great story. And it's a very compelling picture. Many points of God's light, each one a proof of his love for each individual. A sea of beautiful stars, a very beautiful and compelling picture, but perhaps not really accurate. Because this is not how the world comes to know God. This next slide is how the world comes to know God. Each one of those points of connection to God, us, is connected in love, when we love, to all the others. What if the proof of God's existence is on the lines, not the dots? What if? What if he designed it such that when the world wants to see God, an illustration of God's nature that's tangible to them, that's around them all the time, to to understand what he's really like, what if he's on the lines more than he's on the dots? What if the dots are an excuse for the lines? Hello? Could that be? The Bible's telling us is that God is displayed to the world by the lines, the light, the love that's between us. Now listen to this. 1 John 4.12 No one has ever seen God. That's the problem of our faith, by the way. We're in the God-revealing business and he's invisible. That creates a problem. No one has ever seen God, but if, conditional, but if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Now, he's not saying that he doesn't love us as individuals. He's saying that when we love one another, he lives in us as a community. He lives in us, plural. Take off your individualistic glasses for a minute. Take off our culture for a moment, and don't see it through the lens of individualism. See it through the lens of a family. It's the family that illustrates the nature of God, not just the individuals. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, he lives between us, amongst us, in our community, in our family. And his love is made complete in the family. Why are we so egocentric that we think that me, the individual, is the sum total of everything God has in mind? If God were singular and only one, we could think that way, but he's not. He's a family. He's a relationship. So it's only in relationships that he's truly revealed. I just had this thought. It's such a comfort 
If it's all up to me and it's all about the individual, then this responsibility rests on me constantly to be illustrating him properly. But if I'm part of a community, I can have a down day. Because my community's not having a down day. I can be a bad illustration sometimes, but it's okay because the kingdom's still advancing because I'm part of a family. And we're carrying one another together. I can have my down days because someone else is having an up one. And when I'm having an up day, somebody else can have a down one. It's okay. It's not all on you. It's on us. You're not carrying this thing alone. You're not bearing the torch by yourself. This is a relay. It's not a sprint. This radical little verse, 1 John 4:12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Has three really significant ramifications. First one, no, no one has ever seen God. God cannot be adequately described. He must be demonstrated. Isn't that interesting? Your best efforts will never sum him up. But our love for one another illustrates him perfectly. Words alone are inadequate. That's why love is so important. Love is the demonstration, and words are the explanation of the demonstration. Isn't that cool? Love is the demonstration. Words are the explanation of the demonstration. Second conclusion. If we love one another, God lives in us. God lives in us, plural, as a community and not just as individuals. I've already made that point. But it's a conditional statement of truth. It could be put in the negative and be equally true. If we do not love one another, God does not live in us. No no kidding, ouch. The point is that God will not dwell in a community when we are not a loving community. Now here's a frightening thought I had when I wrote this. Can you imagine a church... Without love, what would it look like? Imagine a bunch of religious individuals consumed by their own personal experience of God with no regard for anyone else. (laughs) That's a frightening proposition. Number three. God's love is made complete in us. The complete expression of God's love is not made visible until we love one another. We complete his love. Do you remember the movie Jerry Maguire? That that Hollywood line, you complete me? We complete God. We complete God in our love for one another. His love's not complete until it's complete amongst us. I'm just kind of overwhelmed by the honor that he's given us. The place in his kingdom. That we're so important to everything that he wants to do.
Isn't that exciting? We complete his love. We got a few minutes. Q&A. What questions is this raising for you? Or comments? Yeah. Yeah, that's sweet, Jerry. If one of those stars is dim, there's still lines flowing into it. It, it still gets, it's still, it's still part of it. Mary. Thanks, Mary. It applies to everything. It applies to unity in prayer, but it, it applies to any time that unity is seen. There's an outpouring of power. There's a connection biblically between unity and power. And it only makes sense because power only comes, power is merely an expression of love. It's love made active. Anything else? Yeah. Oh, that's good, Jerry. It's the, when they lift up, yeah. when they hold up the arms, the battle continues to be won. Yeah. As the arms are being supported and lifted up. Yeah. When you're dim, it's the lines that bring you back up again. And the life flows through the lines more often than we think. Rather than this, the vertical line going up and down is essential, but the horizontal lines 
are God's conduits to all sorts of blessing to us. Okay, let's try something. Some of you aren't going to like this, but I think it's a really good illustration. I just saw it in my mind's eye. How about we all stand up? And um, uh, everybody just move to the center till you can join hands with somebody. Join hands. Come on. There you go. Is everybody touching someone? When God looks down at us, this is what he sees. This is what he sees. He doesn't see a bunch of people sitting all over the room by themselves. He sees the connections. And just the act of standing here and touching someone and holding someone's hand, you feel that connection. As I'm just describing this, as you're touching someone and you're connected, your faith begins to rise. Your joy begins to rise. Your hope begins to rise. And we're experiencing them now more strongly than we were two minutes ago simply because of this contact. Okay, let's just purpose something in our hearts, all right? I'm going to pray and, and say yes along with me, okay? Just, just when you agree, just say yes, Lord. Father, I want to overcome my self-focus. I want to be free of always thinking about me. I want to be free to think about you. And I want to be free to think about my brothers and sisters. I want to enjoy my brothers and sisters more than I ever have before. I want to be more real and more open with them than I ever have before. I want to learn to listen like I've never listened before. I want to value them like you value them. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, increase my love and increase my connectedness and show me and give me opportunities to love my brothers and sisters in practical ways, Lord. Not just emotionally or, or sentimentally, but in practical ways. Lord, show me when to call somebody and say, I've been thinking about you. How are you doing? Show me when to risk a word of encouragement with somebody that, I, that just crossed my mind. Like, I, I should tell so-and-so what I think of them and how special they are to me. Lord, when I see my brother or my sister in need, that I will do something about it. Lord, help me to recognize the gifting that's in me and how I can give it to other people. Lord, give me opportunities to serve others. God, live in me. 
live in my relationships. The Lord specifically says, for many of you, you've been hiding. You've been hiding who you really are. You haven't been real with your brothers and sisters. You have problems you've been afraid to talk about. The Lord says, find someone, find a safe place, but do it. Reach out, be vulnerable. Lord, we pray for a greater connection in our body. Lord, we pray that you would live in those lines of love between us brighter than ever before. We pray for more of the presence of your love in our relationships. That this would be a place that is known as a church that really loves one another and every person that comes in that door. And our children, Lord, let it let it affect our kids. And our marriages, Lord Jesus, let it affect our marriages. Lord, I pray that you take the truth that you've spoken today. There's some truth you spoke to each one of us which you want us to take away and protect and apply. Protect and apply. The Lord says, protect and apply the truth that I spoke to you today. Protect and apply. Amen. Amen. Before you disconnect, before you disconnect, before you clap, I want to capitalize on this unity. Jesus said, if two of you agree on earth, is touching anything they ask, my Father in heaven will do it. No, you get back over here. Get your your hands back together. No, but I'm really serious about this. this. This message, which was brilliant, put into context why Jesus said, when two of you on earth agree, you can ask anything you want, my Father will do it. Because love creates that agreement and the Bible says Jesus looked out over the masses and he had compassion on them and healed all who were sick it's the flow of compassion I want to capitalize on this supernatural unity we have in this house in this moment and pray for all sickness and disease to bow its knee to the power of God So will you right now begin to pray? Pray for the person to the left and to the right of you. Pray for the flow of power. As I pray, you guys pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are in symphony right now in this house. We are one right now. We have divine, supernatural unity in this house right now. And because of this unity, the power of God is flowing. And right now, we say no to sickness and disease. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command cancers to leave, diabetes to leave, chronic illness to leave, irritable irritable bowel syndrome to leave, migraines to leave, depression to break. We come against heart disease. We come against imbalanced chemicals in the mind. We come against clogged arteries. We come against uh, bacteria, viruses. We come against every source 
of every weakness in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we now pray and we release by faith your supernatural power flowing through your body, crippling sickness and disease, breaking its power. Eyes to be healed, ears to be opened, minds to be cleared. I just got a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge is when the Holy Spirit tells you something spontaneous. It's in the Bible. That somebody has been dealing with confusion in your mind and you can't get a clear mind. Right now in the name of Jesus, we declare peace to your mind. We come against that spirit of confusion. We command you to go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, your mind is clear. You can think clearly. You're back into your right mind. Somebody here has had, had uh, high stress that has been uh, giving you uh, um, heart palpitations. It's causing an irregular, irregularity in the, the, uh, the, uh, your heartbeat because of that stress. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right now we say peace. believe that the Lord just spoke to several people about their marriage relationships and this whole idea hit home at a deeper level. Father, we bring the marriages before you right now, all of our marriages, every single one. Lord, I really believe that you've spoken to us and I know you've spoken to me about how we love and I pray an outpouring of gentleness and patience and kindness listening acts of mercy Lord in our marriages that we would see our spouse in a whole new way and we see our marriage in a whole new way pray for that truth to go deep in our relationships and our marriages Lord thank you Hope and I want to say thank you for your prayers for her thank you this unity is going to break the devil's back And she's going to come out okay.